Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. We are continuing uh, the series we started several weeks ago, looking at the life of Abraham. Uh, But really, we're not just studying his life like we did the life of David. We're looking at uh, Abraham's life as kind of a, a road map that God wants to take all of his children through. God promised Abraham that he would bless him, but he would multiply Abraham's blessings to be a blessing for the entire world. And that's what God wants us to do. God blesses every single one of us. God has blessed us as a church. God has blessed us individually, and he doesn't give us those blessings just for us to hoard those blessings and keep them for ourselves. He gives us those blessings for us to multiply them to be a blessing to other people. Now, Abraham, throughout his life, God tested him. Over and over and over again, God tested Abraham. Now, when we think of tests, we think of you know a superior, a teacher, a professor, trying to see what we have learned, to, so they can find out what we know, and they can grade us. God does not test us like that. God knows what we know. You know, God knows if we're going to fail or not. God knows if we're going to mess up or not. So when God tests us, it's not to to give us a grade or for God to discover what's inside of us. It is for us to discover what's inside of us. It's for us to realize where our our trust is, where our faith is, what it is we're, we're dealing with and we're putting our, our own strength in. So do we really trust God or do we trust our own abilities? Do we trust God and what he is trying to do through us and through the world or do we trust what we are trying to accomplish? Abraham said he trusted God. These tests show us, but it also shows Abraham what he really trusts in. Now, once God gave Abraham the promise of a son way back in Genesis chapter 13, or Genesis chapter 12, he very well could have said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child, and you're going to have children that outnumber the, the stars in the sky and the dust of the, of the earth and the sand of the sea, and that child, those children are going to be used to bless the entire world. And he could have immediately given Sarah a child. He could have immediately made Sarah get pregnant. Because again, they were already in their 70s, so by this time, society considered her barren, had labeled them childless, so it would have been a miracle. It still would have been a miracle birth, but for some reason, God made Abraham wait 30 years to see the fulfillment of this promise. He told Abraham, follow me. I'm not telling you where I'm going, but follow me, and I'll take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. Uh, But he didn't take him right there. He made Abraham go on a journey that took him to other places first. Why would he do that? Why not just give him a kid right away? When I give him a map or, you know, it is God. Yes, I know it was, you know, thousands of years ago, but he could have given him a, you know, an iPhone with Siri that he could have followed Google Maps. uh, Even and say, how could he do that? There was, it's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, He could have lit the path as he was, but he, he made him wait for the child. He made him wait to see the promise fulfilled. Because here's the thing, 
God wasn't just trying to take Abraham somewhere. He wasn't just trying to give Abraham something. He was trying to turn Abraham into someone. Someone completely different than he started out with. He was trying to turn him into a, a, a man who obeyed God, who followed God, but who most importantly trusted God and was completely surrendered to God. That's what he's doing in our life as well. God is taking us through the path of life. He is testing us. He is trying us so that we can, re- we can learn to rely on Him, to trust in Him, to obey Him and follow Him. God wants to work in us so that we can be ambassadors for Him on this earth. He wants to multiply, not just the resources He has given us, but He wants to multiply our faith. He wants to multiply our trust in Him. He wants to multiply our surrender to Him and our obedience to Him. Now in Genesis 22, Abraham is facing the greatest test he's ever going to have to face in life. He's going to be tested more than he's ever been tested before. Now the test he goes through is a test we all have to go through as well. Not exactly the same process, but God tests us in the same way to see what we trust. Abraham, in Genesis 21, he's finally received the promised son Isaac. God has finally answered his prayer. Abraham is 100 years old when Isaac is born. Sarah is 90 years old when Isaac is born. So just imagine this. For the baby shower, Abraham, Sarah, and the baby got diapers. All of them are wearing diapers at this time. So it's a weird little family they got going on there. But they have finally received this promised son. So let's start reading in Genesis chapter 22. Start reading in verse number 1. <clears throat> and it came to pass, after these things, after he's gotten his son after the covenant that God's made with him, after these things, that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now, here I am is more than just, you know, taking roll call in school where the teacher's going through the list and saying, you know, Connor, Hope, Olivia, and here, here, here. Here I am in the Hebrew literally means I stand ready for your command. That's an, that's an amazing answer that Abraham gives. He's surrendering to God whatever God wants. God comes and says, Abraham, whatever you need, God, I'm willing to do it. Now, that's a remarkable response because before when God called Abraham to do things, Abraham obeyed, but not always so quickly. He listened, but he wasn't fully surrendered to God. He asked him to leave his family, leave something good, leave something cherished, and do, it, do, do the impossible. Abraham obeyed, but he, he had some, some detours along the way. He's lying to make sure... Uh, that his wife isn't, or to make sure he's not killed when they steal his wife from. Doesn't stop them from taking his wife. He does it twice. Both times his wife is taken. One time, as someone's husband, he does nothing, but he doesn't want to die. So Abraham's not the greatest obeyer here or surrender here, but right now, after God's given him this, this promised son, after he's seen God work, God just comes to him and says, Abraham, Abraham says, hey, here I am. Whatever you want. Now, by, if I was Abraham at this point, I'd be like, Seriously, God, I'm tired. 
Haven't I done enough? You've, 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 you've taken me all over the place. You finally give me this kid, but I'm over a hundred years old now. What do you need now? Why, why are you bugging me? Go bother someone else. There's younger people out there. Go deal with them. But it doesn't do that because he has learned by this point to trust God no matter what. He doesn't say, okay, God, what, what, what do you want me to do? And then I'll decide. God says, Abraham, Abraham, he says, whatever you need, God, I'm here. Whatever, whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, God, I'll go. I trust you completely. The difference in a life of joy and a life of drudgery as a believer is learning to trust in God. You know, the old hymn says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." just to take him at his word. doesn't say, man, it's so sweet to trust in Jesus when he tells me everything's going to happen and asks me really easy stuff. No, whatever God asks me to do, if I surrender to him and I obey him, then I have a joyful life. If you have a life of faith, if you have a life of joy, it's because you've learned to trust God. Show me a happy, a consistent, a faithful Christian. And that's someone who's learned to trust in God. Show me a Christian who's angry and bitter and upset all the time, and they're struggling with their obedience, and they're struggling with their trust of God. It has nothing to do with character. It has everything to do with how much you trust God. So God comes to Abraham, says, Abraham, and Abraham immediately says, whatever you need, I'll do it. Then look what God asked him to do. Verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So, big ask. He's not asking him to move again. He's not asking him to, you know, do something great, you know, something easy. He's saying, hey, Abraham, whatever you need, God, good. Remember that promised son that I gave you? That son you waited over 30 years for? That son that all your, your hopes and all your dreams and all your future... Remember that son? Yeah, I remember that son. Good. Offer him to me as a sacrifice. That's a huge ask. And if you read this verse in Hebrew, God uses the word son ten times. Now, maybe it's because Abraham's going deaf, or he's so old he's got dementia, so he wants to remind. But ten times, God is being very clear what he's asking. Take your son, your only son, the son you love, the son you cherish, the son you, re- you rely on, the son you've waited for so long. Take that son and offer that son to me as an offering to God. This son is what Abraham left everything for. Now, again, he waited 30 years for this promise. Bible theologians tell us that at this point, Isaac is at least 15 years old. He could be as old as 30, but we know he's at least 15. So Abraham has, so it's not like he's born the very next day. God's like, hey, you like that baby? Isn't he cute? Good, kill him. No. It's been 15 years. He's learned to, now again, it may be easy because he's 15, and if you've ever had a 15-year-old in your house, if God says kill that 15-year-old, say, okay, I've been waiting for this all my life, God. But I don't think Isaac was a, a, a bratty little kid who wouldn't get off his cell phone uh, and wouldn't obey Abraham and, 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 and Sarah. 
Uh, but he's, he's the son who's all his hopes in, his dreams, everything. And God says, I want you to give that up. This is more than just his most prized possession. Isaac is everything to Abraham. God's telling him, take your future. Take all your hopes. Take all your dreams. Take all your security. Take all your joy. Take all your love and offer it to me as a sacrifice. How could God ask him to do such a thing? I'm not going to answer that right now. I will before the sermon's over, but we're going to get to that. We'll get there, but this ask that God is asking Abraham to do, Isaac represents what you treasure the most. What makes your life worth living? What's the one thing that if you lost it, you'd be devastated. If you lost it, I couldn't go on. Is it your job? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Kids, is it Wi-Fi? It's the one thing. And I know it's, it's that for my, because we, a couple of months ago in the summertime, we had a guy who I think he had a stroke or a seizure. Anyway, he hit the telephone pole in our neighborhood, blew the power out and the Wi-Fi out in our, in our whole neighborhood for like six hours, and they were freaking out. Dad, the Wi-Fi's down! And we don't get a great cell signal at our house, so there's, they're, they're literally sitting in our van charging their phones because they can't do it. So I know what their, their Isaac is. But whatever that one thing is that you're like, if I lost this, my, 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 my Isaac, April, do you know my Isaac? What's my Isaac? Scarlet. Scarlet. I can live without April. I can't live without Scarlet. I've already made a deal with the vet when we have to put her down in 20 years. Don't mock me. We're getting a double dose. We're going together. Uh, but what's that one thing that you just cannot live without? Then look at verse number three. <clears throat> and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took him to of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, Abraham here, I mean, he's showing incredible faith right now. He said, God says, Abraham, whatever you need, God, good. Offer your son as a sacrifice to me. Okay? Next morning gets up, doesn't tell anybody what's going on. Gets Isaac, says, hey, gather some wood. We're, we're going on a little journey here. Get some people to go with him. Three days he's walking, knowing what he's going to have to do. If I'm Abraham, by the third day I'm like, you know what, maybe I, maybe I had a, a, that, that bean burrito I had three nights ago was a little off. Maybe God really didn't mean that. I'm kind of old. My hearing aids aren't working right. Let me turn them up. Maybe get some clarification here. But Abraham doesn't do that. His faith is not an emotional response. It's automatic. It comes from a deeper place. Then look at verse number 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go up yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, worship here is an interesting word for what he's doing. I'm not sure Isaac would agree later on that God, Dad, we're worshiping God. 
But Abraham says, we're going to go worship God. But then he says, the Hebrew phrase, come again, is plural. Abraham is telling his men, hey, y'all wait here. Me and Isaac are going up to the mountain. Now, he knows why they're going on the mountain. Isaac doesn't. The men don't. But Abraham does. God told me to take him on that mountain and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. He's not asking him to go up there and just prick his finger and put some blood. No, slit your son's throat, let him bleed out, and then burn his body to a crisp. Abraham says, we're going up there, but we're both coming back. He trusted God. He had faith in God. He knew that God was going to fulfill his promise. He knew that God could be trusted. Didn't know how it was going to work out, but he knew he could trust God. Then look at verse number 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. So we know Isaac is big enough, strong enough to carry enough wood to burn a body, which if you've ever tried to burn a body, is a lot of wood. Let me tell you, it's more wood than you think. You know, if you triple whatever, whatever wood you think you need to burn a body, triple it. Don't ask me how I know that. No. Uh, but it does take a lot of wood to burn a body because it takes a lot of heat to burn a body. And so Isaac is big enough and strong enough to carry all this wood up the mountain to where Abraham is taking him. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And, uh, and he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac's catching on here. Hey, Dad, you said we're going to make a sacrifice. Uh, I got the wood. You got the fire and the knife. Where's the sacrifice at, Dad? Because... I don't see nothing to sacrifice here, and I'm getting a little worried. Verse number 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. So this gives us a little insight into what Abraham has been doing for the last three days. God told him three days ago, Take your son to a mountain I'm going to show you and sacrifice him to me. Abraham does it. But as they're going up, he doesn't tell Isaac, well, God told me to sacrifice you, but you know, don't worry, I'm sure he'll work it out somehow. He's like, Isaac, don't worry. God will provide. God will provide a lamb. He's reminding himself of the promises that God had given him. He's reminding himself of the time he's been with God. He's remembering God five chapters ago, but you know, 15 years ago or 30 years ago now, you walked between those sacrificed animals. You had me cut those animals in half, and you walked between them, and you told me that if you didn't keep your word, that I could kill you. You told me that if I didn't keep my word, then you would die for me. So God, you've got to keep your word. You've got to figure out some way to do this. So he knows that God will keep his word somehow. So Abraham walks up that mountain in silence, reminding himself of God's promises. What drove Abraham up the mountain was not the strength of his character. The thing that drove him up that mountain was reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. When you are in a battle and don't know what to do, don't know where to go, don't know how to, how to, how to work it out, just remind yourself 
of God's faithfulness. That's going to keep you going as a father when you, your kids frustrate you and you don't know what to do. Just remember, God's faithful. God's promised to see me through. God's promised to give me wisdom. That'll help you as you're, you're in any financial problems. Just remind yourself, you know what, God, I don't know what's going on, but you've promised to provide for me. You've promised to take care of me. God, whatever health issues, God, you've promised these things. Remind yourself that no matter what you face, God is always there. God is always faithful to you. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 says, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah reminds us, look, your strength's going to fail you. Young people who right now laugh at me when I crouch down to tie my shoe and grunt when I get up, and it takes me a few more minutes to get up out of the floor than it used to, and I get tired and make fun of me. God says, look, you know what? Y'all think you're so good. Your strength's going to go one day. Right? These young punks, they're like, you're so old, Dad. One day you're going to be old. One day you're going to crave a nap at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And take one and then realize at 10 o'clock at night you shouldn't have taken that nap. Because now you can't sleep. So he's like, your strength's going to fail. Everything's going to fail. But you know what? If you trust God, then you'll soar like eagles. If you have your faith where it needs to be, then you're going to fly. Just remember the promises of God. Then look at verse number uh, 9 of Genesis 22. And they came to the place which God had told of him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now look, we talked about Abraham's faith. Let's talk about Isaac's faith. Because again, Isaac's at least 15, maybe 30. Abraham's an old man. Isaac could outrun his dad. Okay? Abraham starts tying him up. Isaac can fight back. He can get away from old grandpa dad Abraham, but he doesn't. He's strong enough to carry the wood. He can get away from his 115-year-old father, but he trusts God and he trusts his dad. Look, Connor, come up here. God came to me, and He told me to slit your throat and sacrifice you to Him, but He's going to raise you up. Can I do that? <laughs> there, he's not going to let me kill Him. I've tried. He, doesn't, he runs too fast. You know? And He gets away. He's too wiry and tall. But if I, if I seriously came to you, and I was, I was like, Connor, I really think this is what God wants me to do. Are you going to let me do it? <laughs> no, He's not. He doesn't trust my faith enough. Plus, he knows God doesn't work that way anymore. So you can go sit down. But, so, look, parents, I don't suggest telling your kids, God told me to kill you, just trust me. Uh, it, it won't work in a court of law, probably. But uh, anyway, so Isaac had some incredible faith as well. The only way that Isaac had the faith that he had was because he saw the faith of his father. He saw Abraham's faith, and he inherited it. The only way that that happened, the only way Isaac could have Abraham's faith is because Abraham was constantly talking about God's goodness, God's provision, 
God's promises. He saw his dad live out his faith in the promises of God. That's how we pass on our faith. Don't just bring your kids to church. It's good you bring your kids to church. I'm not saying, you know, so kids don't say, well, preacher said you don't got to take me to church. No, that's not what I said. Bring them. Make them come. But it's not just bringing them to church. It's not just sending them to, to Christian school. It is parents trusting God in the hard times and showing their faith to their kids, reminding themselves and reminding their children, God has promised to take care of us. God has promised to deliver us. God has promised to provide for us. You live by faith if you want your kids to grow up living by faith as well. Look at verse number 10. And Abraham stretched forth his son, and took the knife to slay his son. Now, now we get to the, the question we want to answer. How could God do this? We're going to continue the story, but how could God ask Abraham, Hey, Abraham, that, that, that son you have, that you've waited so long for, that you love so much, all your faith, that I have promised to bless the entire world through, take that son and offer him as a sacrifice. Because here's the thing. God didn't just come to Abraham and say, hey, hey, Abraham, why don't you kill Isaac for me? He could have done that at home. He doesn't got to go on a three-day journey. He could have just, okay, God, stabbed him in the heart right there. But he didn't do that. He didn't ask him, hey, just kill Isaac. He said, offer him as a sacrifice. The offering of the firstborn in the Old Testament was vital to their culture. It was reminding them. And it symbolized a debt that every man, every woman, every family owed to God. God lays claim to the firstborn because they represent our future. They represent our hope. They represent our security. So that's why God requires for sacrifices the firstborn cattle, the firstborn sheep. The firstborn to be sacrificed. That's why he requires the first fruits of every harvest, of every grain. The only way to, to be spared of the debt we owed was for a substitution to be made. That's why in the Passover, in the, uh, at the Passover, that the Passover, the death angel came and killed the firstborn in every home in Egypt except for those homes who had taken a firstborn lamb and killed that lamb and put the blood on the doorway. That lamb was a substitution for the firstborn in the house. God is showing the debt that every person owed. It goes to the core of our lives. It goes to the core of who we are. Because of our sin, we owe God a debt that must be paid. In the Old Testament, the payment was the sacrifice or the offering of the firstborn. Now, typically this was firstborn animals. It was a substitution for the firstborn child. We're going to get to what's going on here. But in the Old, Te an Old Testament theologian said, if Abraham thought God had told him to sacrifice Sarah, he wouldn't have done that. He would have thought he was hallucinating because God wouldn't command a senseless murder like that. But when God said, offer Isaac, he knew exactly what it meant. It meant his firstborn. That represented his very life and hope and the debt 
that every family owed to God. That is why God said, take your son, your only son, your firstborn son, and offer him back to me as a sacrifice. And look at verse number 11. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Again, same phrase. I stand ready to obey whatever you ask me to do. Now remember at this point, Abraham's got his hand up, about to plunge the knife into Isaac's heart. And that angel says, Abraham. And Abraham, stop. Whatever you need me to do, God, I'm going to do it. I mean, he's pretty much showing, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'm ready here to kill my son. So whatever you ask, I'll do it. Verse 12, and he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. God saw Abraham's commitment to him. Abraham passed the test. Again, this test isn't for God to see, but for Abraham to realize, God, I trust you with everything. Abraham showed that there was nothing he didn't trust God with. He, he understood there is nowhere he wouldn't follow God. Look at verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Now, Jehovah-Jireh means God is my provider. God will provide. In Hebrew culture, when you gave something a name, it was important. You were trying to, it wanted, you wanted to remind yourself and remind everyone else what happened there. What is going on there? He didn't name the place where Abraham obeyed. He named it where God provided. This story is not about Abraham's incredible obedience, but God's incredible provision. Centuries later, another beloved son, another only son would, that the father loves would walk up that mountain. This son, like Isaac, would willingly climb on the altar, would willingly offer himself as a sacrifice. But this time, the knife wouldn't be stopped. This time, the knife would be plunged into the heart of Jesus and He would die in our place. You know, why did God make Abraham walk three days to get to the mountain? There were mountains closer. They lived in a mountain range. So He could have chosen anywhere. Mount Moriah was, was outside what would one day be called Jerusalem. Mount Moriah would one day be renamed Mount Calvary. On the same mountain where Jesus would one day die to pay for our sins, this scene plays out. Abraham plays the role of God. Isaac plays the role of Jesus up to a point. And then God provided another substitution. This ram, if you notice, was caught by the horns in the thorns, meaning... His body was unblemished. He was unscarred. He was undamaged. He was a perfect sacrifice. More than a thousand years later, when Jesus is on the cross, no substitute was given because He was the substitute. Jesus willingly stayed on the altar so that we can know 
that God loves us. He loves us so much. He didn't withhold His only Son for us, he, but He willingly sacrificed His Son so that we could be redeemed. That is why the mountain is named God will provide and not Abraham did obey. God provided a sacrifice for our sins when Jesus died in our place and rose again for us. And so there's a connection between your understanding of God's commitment to you and your willingness to obey everything God asks of you. Your willingness to surrender everything to God. When you see that God's withheld nothing from you, then you're saying, well, God, you've given me everything, so everything I have, I willingly and eagerly give to you. Those that don't surrender to God, those that think the Christian life is hard, haven't seen the love of God yet. He was rich, but became poor, so that through his poverty we could become rich. And look at verse number 15, chapter 22. <clears throat> it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thine son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Because of Abraham's obedience, because of Abraham's trust in God, God says, I'm going to keep my promise to bless the whole earth through your, your, your children. Because of Jesus' obedience to lay down his life for us, we are blessed. Through, through our obedience to God, that blessing extends to the rest of the world. See, God doesn't need Isaac. When we take the first and the best and offer it to him in surrender, then God uses it to multiply for his kingdom. So what you do literally changes eternity for people around the world. We are sitting here today because Abraham obeyed. People get saved in our community and around the world because we obey. All that to ask two questions. But before we do, majesty. Turn off the monitors. They're humming on me. Mute everything but the speaker. And turn off the monitors. They're irritating me. Are they irritating y'all? Alright, well, alright. It's not irritating them, so don't worry about it. Alright, so here's the two questions. Number one, do you truly understand the gospel. Most people think this story is about obedience and think, well, that's a great story about obedience, but I can't obey like Abraham did. And I agree. If, if God came to me and said, hey, offer your oldest son as a sacrifice, well, maybe the oldest, uh, sometimes the middle, Lexi, you can't get rid of your only daughter. So, you know, I don't have a spare of her. So, <laughs> oh, I got spares of you. But anyway, if God came to me and said, hey, I want you to kill one of your children as a sign of obedience to me, I'm not going to do it. I would want to some days, but I'm not. So we look at this and say, well, oh, Abraham had incredible obedience. There's no way I can obey that way. That's not what this is about. This is about the fact that Jesus obeyed God so you didn't have to. Let me put that a different way. Jesus obeyed God because you wouldn't. 
He obeyed God in your place. He is the Son that did everything and gave His life so that we could go free. See, here's the thing. In the story I said, Isaac represented Jesus up to a point. In the whole story, you are Isaac. Condemned to death. Jesus is the ram that gave His life in your place. He is the Son that died in your place. Um, All we have to do is believe and receive it. See, coming to Jesus means that He did for you what you couldn't do. In response to that, when we realize that God saved us when we couldn't save ourselves, that He gave His Son to die in our place, to absorb the wrath of God for us, to rise again three days later to redeem us to God the Father, that He did all of that so we could go free, so that we could be saved. When we realize that, the natural response of the believers say, God, You didn't spare anything. You gave everything to me and gave everything for me. So God, I offer everything to You. I willingly offer my life back to you because you deserve everything. You deserve it all. The old hymn says, when I survey the wondrous cross upon which Jesus died, keep going through, he deserves my life, my all. When I realize what he did for me, when I see his love for me, I realize he deserves everything from me. Full sacrifice requires understanding the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. So that brings us to the second question. Do you fully understand the gospel? Number two, are you fully surrendered to Him? In response of what God has done for you, have you offered yourself a living sacrifice to Him? The point isn't that you identify what your Isaac is and give it to God because He doesn't really need that. The point is, you give God everything, including your Isaac. You hold nothing back from God. Isaac represents that one thing that makes total, complete surrender to God difficult. What's that one thing in your life? What is that one thing that you just can't give to God? You say, God, you can have all that, but this This is mine. Because God, I'm afraid if I give it to you, you're going to take it from me. God, I'm afraid if I'm going to give it to you, you're going to use it for for something else. And God, I, I, I can't give you that. I can't give that up for you. In every part of your life, in response to His gift, we are to offer everything back to Him with no restriction. See, Abraham's offering shows how we should offer everything back to God. Multiply, the Multiply series that we're doing here, it's not about raising money. It's not about trying to make sure the offerings go up. It's not trying to get new volunteers to help in the church. Totally. That is part of it. We need that. So like, oh, well, whew, I was feeling led to serve, but he said we did. No, no, no. That is part of it. But it's not what the whole thing about. See, God doesn't need us to accomplish His will on earth. He chooses to use us. Multiply is saying, God, we owe everything to you. You, you promise to bless us, and you have. You promise to provide for us, and you have. Lord, everything we have has been given to us from you. So we just freely offer it right back to you. There are several things Abraham had and Abraham did 
that allowed him to trust God so much. And here's a few of them. Number one, Abraham had faith. Abraham trusted God with his future. All of his future was tied up in Isaac. There, was no, there is no work that God does in us or through us without faith. And here's the thing. Faith and stepping out on faith feels like a risk, and it should. If you can do something for God and don't feel like you're risking anything, or you're not scared by it, you're not acting on faith. Faith is scary. It's difficult. It should scare you. And if it doesn't, you're not using faith. You're not truly exercising faith. We've talked about you know, the, the seeds throughout this whole thing. A seed, what you have with a seed or grain is it takes faith. You can grind it up and eat it. And if you have grain, you say, well, this grain will make me four biscuits. That's not faith. But you say, I'm going to plant this grain. That takes faith because it's got to rain. Sun's got to shine. Weather's got to be nice. Got to make sure the weeds don't grow up. You got to make it takes faith to plant a seed, and that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to act on faith. Cain and Abel gave an offering. The only difference is Abel gave first. He gave out of faith. Hebrews eleven tells us that his offering was accepted because he offered in faith. Cain gave out of his abundance. He didn't. He didn't give out of faith. He gave out of his supply. It is impossible to please God without faith. So Abraham had faith. Second thing Abraham had, Abraham had the willingness to sacrifice. Isaac is what he loved most in the world, what he cherished most in the world. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for someone you love more. I love this, but I love God more. So I willingly give it to him. What was most precious to Abraham he laid on the altar and gave God total control of it. What we sacrifice for God shows how much we love God, shows how much we trust God. In 2 Samuel, David is, is preparing to have the temple built for God. Now, God's already told him, you can't build it because you've got bloody hands. But David's like, well, my son can. And I'm going to make sure he's got everything. So he was gathering materials. He was getting logs and gold. And he was looking for property. And he was going to give land that he owed to the temple, to God, to be built. And so a man came to him and said, David, I've got a better property for you. It's beautiful property. I'll give it to you and you can give it to God. And David said, no, I'm going to pay more than is fair for that land. Because I can't give to God what doesn't cost me anything. See, the measure of generosity in the Bible is not by the size of the gift you give, but by the size of the sacrifice that you offer. What God wants for us is to respond to Him in a way that declares how much we love Him. So Abraham had faith. Abraham sacrificed. But third thing Abraham had was Abraham had full surrender. Surrender is different than sacrifice. You can sacrifice something, but still be in charge, because you choose what you sacrifice. That's not surrender. Surrender is God, you choose. You choose what I sacrifice for you. See, surrender is different than obedience. You can obey God in 99% of the, the, the areas that He asks you to, but still give, not give control to God over that 1%. 
You're obeying mostly, but you still haven't surrendered to God. You still hold on to that thing that is your Isaac. Surrender is a blank check to God. It's going to God and saying, God, everything I am, everything I have, everything I will be is yours. Do with it what you want. It's when God says, Abraham, I'm ready to obey. Not even asking, all right, what, is this going to be tough, God? Is this going to be hard? Is this going to be difficult for me? No, Abraham, Lord, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Take your son. I already said I'll, I'll obey no matter what. He had total surrender. Surrender is no restrictions, no limitations. Everything I have belongs to God, and I just willingly give it to Him. Surrender is a die that permeates every part of your life. Now, surrender affects sacrifice. Surrender controls obedience. But it's more than both. Surrender goes down to the root of who you are. Surrender is response to, of a grateful heart. Surrender is, God, all I have comes from you. Without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I have nothing. So in response to that, I give everything back to you. You know, if you eat bacon and eggs in the morning, you're a wonderful, wonderful person, and God loves you incredibly, and you're right with Jesus. If you eat turkey bacon, get saved. But if you eat bacon and eggs, you're thankful for the chicken. You're thankful for the pig. Both of them contributed to your breakfast, but in vastly different ways. Chicken gave an offering. Pig gave total surrender. He gave everything, and so thank you, pig. I love pigs. I love that bacon. But they, they, God doesn't call us to follow like chickens. God calls us to follow like pigs. Total sacrifice and surrender to Him. What God calls us to do is to offer everything to Him without restriction. So your question during this season or when God's sticking, shouldn't be, well, what is everyone else doing? What is everyone else giving? What is everyone else serving? Your question should be, what does God want from me? I don't care what anyone else is doing. It doesn't they don't bother me. God, you gave me everything and I'll willingly give everything back to you. Now, Abraham could have said, well, I know God said take my son, my only son, but I, I technically have two sons. Let me go get Ishmael real quick and, and, and give Ishmael. Who cares about Ishmael? But that's not obedience. That's not surrender. That's compromise. And that's something we do all the time. Well, I'm going to obey God, mostly. I'll give to the church, but I ain't giving 10%. I'll serve in the church, but I ain't giving up my Saturday mornings. I'll do this, but I'm not going to give total of myself. See, partial obedience is total disobedience. This story... That is, exact, that is opposite of what Abraham did. Abraham gave exactly what God asked. Nothing more, nothing less. He gave total surrender. So during this season, I'm asking you to, to do this in our church. Ask yourself, God, what do you want me to give to you? God, I'm right here. I'm ready to obey whatever you ask. Because look, I promise you, God's not going to ask you to kill your kids. And if you say he did, you're a liar trying to get out of jail. Like that girl who stabbed her, her boyfriend 108 times, killed him and said, I got high and didn't know what I was doing. I got probation. 
Anyway, I'm hung up on that. Uh, it's amazing what they're doing in California right now. Uh, but anyway, God's not going to ask you to do that. God may ask you to open your wallet a little bit more. God may ask you to step up and serve a little bit more. God may, God may ask you to do the hardest thing of all, invite someone to church. <sighs> That's the easiest. But we all, we, start, we all struggle with it. We all struggle. What is God asking you to do during this season? Ask God what He wants to surrender to Him, to sacrifice for Him, and then step out in faith. What is your Isaac? Are you willing to lay it on the altar for Him? Or do you want to keep it for yourself? Ask God what He wants you to give for His kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.